0: Thanks for changing that, Denise. I had good morning on there. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe, he is the savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. Those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, and we are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person, not a thing, not a concept. And just as we do with any person whom we love, we spend time to get to know the Lord through the study of his word. You can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. Now, when we learn the word of God and when we use the word of God, the Lord tells us what will happen to us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Here's what he has to say. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the words of Scripture, and acts on them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Matthew 7:25. and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Matthew 7:26. 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand matthew seven twenty seven the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and the house fell, and great was its fall. When we learn and when we use the the lord's thinking to guide our lives, we are wise, and when we don't, we are foolish we are wise when uh, by building our house on the rock because the Lord Jesus Christ is the rock and building our lives on his foundation guarantees our success. Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the Word of God from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective and not from man's perspective. We search the Scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person, to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for all mankind, and his personal plan for each one of us. And we are here to look at our lives from his perspective. We are here to learn how to enjoy the sphere of grace, forgiveness, and unconditional love he has placed us in, this beautiful sphere of grace in which we stand. So welcome to the lesson. Today's Bible lesson, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? What gets people kicked out of a congregation? Well, the termination of a relationship poses quite a dilemma for believers in Christ, they ask themselves, did I do enough in the relationship? Did I do everything I could have? And the answer is probably. You can tell just because you're bothering to ask the question. A long time ago, I taught a lesson that started with a bold assertion. The Lord Jesus Christ's relationship with Satan makes it clear that sometimes you have to say enough is enough in relationships. It's true. Human history began because of a divorce between the Lord and his anointed cherub who covers Satan, the enemy of God. And even for unbelievers, there's a moment when the Lord says enough is enough. It is the time of their physical death. Now, Christians are guided by God, the Holy Spirit, to love unconditionally with a one-way love, a love that expects nothing in return. And as a result, Christians often think that one-way love means being a doormat in relationships. It does not. God does not want us to be doormats in a relationship. Sometimes you have to say enough is enough in relationships. And in the next passage of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll get to see how Paul handles the person in the church who needs to go. Perhaps this will inform you about how to handle relationships, relationships, uh, little quotes flying around that, that you stay in much too long. Relationships that aren't relationships at all. All right, so let's hear some music. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you believers in Christ to walk, that is to have a lifestyle, in a manner worthy Of the calling to which you've been called. The Apostle Paul wrote these amazing words from a jail cell in Rome. That's why he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord, among other reasons. God the Father expects believers in Christ to live a holy lifestyle, and God the Holy Spirit is responsible for directing us to that lifestyle day by day. Here's Jeremy Camp to sing about the Bible's contribution to our walk with his song, Word of Life.
1: Word of Life Speak to my weary heart Strengthen my broken parts Lead me to your open arms Word of Truth Illuminate all these lies The enemy speaks inside And freedom you call me I-
0: Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the Word of Truth, the Bible, a gift you have given us to direct our lives on a holy path that is an exact reflection of your Son and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you that the Word is alive and powerful and sharp and piercing. Thank you that your Word contains all the wisdom we need to live the amazing life you planned for us in eternity past. Help us to use your guidance instead of our own. Show us not to lean on our own understanding and instead to have faith in you. Show our spiritual eyes the magnitude of the victory that your son accomplished for us believers at the cross so that we can live the victory you gave us in our day-to-day experience. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson: Who gets? Pe- what gets people kicked out of a congregation? What gets people kicked out of a congregation? Well, last week we summarized our study of the first four chapters of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. We, in fact, looked at that whole, all the pas- all the parts of the passages, the three passages that we had studied. Today we begin the transition to the next passage of the letter, which extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. And this is a passage that is addressing some pretty meaty issues that come from divisions and rivalries. And what are those meaty issues? Incest, lawsuits, and prostitution. 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long. The first six chapters unearth the problems in the Corinthian church. And then in the final ten chapters, Paul offers spiritual solutions to the problems by answering questions that he is being asked by Chloe's people and by others in the church. The first problem reported to Paul was divisions and rivalries. There is a group within the church that is quite arrogant, lording their social status and their intellect over those who are less fortunate educationally and financially. Eventually, Arrogance becomes comfortable with all things sinful because those who are arrogant make rules that suit them. They like having their ears tickled, and they bring teachers into their experience who will tickle their ears. Paul is no such teacher. The arrogant ones in this church acted in line with this depravity, the depravity of arrogance, self-betrayal which leads to self-justification, which leads to self-deception, which leads to self-absorption. The arrogant in this church acted in line with depravity. They were engaging in woeful conduct, and they were quite proud of their accomplishments in this regard. And Paul took them to task for their lifestyle. And I want you to get that. He took took them to task for their lifestyle, not for their sins. Because the tendency, when you're listening to this particular part, especially since it's so sensitive about kicking people out of a congregation, you start thinking that people could get kicked out of a congregation for their sins. And that's not exactly it. People are more, much more likely to get kicked out of a congregation for their lifestyle. Now, Second Corinthians, which is the letter that follows First Corinthians, has thirteen chapters. And when a spiritual advisor has to write two letters and twenty-nine chapters to a congregation, it's probably safe to assume that they're a bunch of knuckleheads. Look at what Paul says to the church at Corinth in Second Corinthians chapter two, verses twenty and twenty-one. Twenty-eight chapters into instructing them. He says this in Second Corinthians twelve twenty. I, Paul, am afraid that perhaps when I come to Corinth, I may find you not to be what I wish I wish to find, and I may be found by you not to be what you wish to find, Perhaps there will still be strife, jealousy, anger, angry tempers, disputes, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. Well, isn't that interesting that, in the first chapter, he's talking about those things? And now in the 28th chapter to this church, he's talking about those things. And that's what it's like to teach knuckleheads. You have to teach them the same thing over and over and over and over again because it doesn't register to them because they're not committed to learning what it is you're teaching. They are not learners. Now, Paul mentions the sins that result from divisions and rivalries. And what are they? Strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slander, gossips arrogance and disturbances and any of you who have been in a relationship where there is a division in the relationship where the two of you are not on each other's side that's exactly what's going on and you know for christians to see this going on in a relationship and then when they decide to that they've had enough of that and they want to exit that for a Christian to then be scratching their head and wondering, should I exit? It was that way in the first chapter. It's that way in the 28th chapter. It's been that way every chapter in between. They haven't changed at all. Do you think you should still stay in that relationship and keep going all out for that relationship when all you're getting is the same stuff? That's what happens when there are divisions. Do you think that there's anything that Jesus Christ is teaching or saying to Satan that he's listening to? Satan is still in heaven today, and the Lord is telling him exactly what it is that got him in the predicament that he's in, and he's still not listening. He's still thinking he's smarter than God, and he's not. Amen? And he's never going to be. So God is letting it play out. He's so patient. You know, every day week I was like, Did, didn't you cut it off yet? Can we just cut it off? Can we just be done with it? All right, can we have the rapture today so that we can get the last thousand seven years done so we can be done with this stupidity? But God's not that way. He lets it play out. And Satan's not going to change. He's never going to change. And you've got some Satans in your life. You've got people in your life who have been screwing you from the beginning. They're screwing you now. They've screwed you all in between. And you're still sitting there like a Christian. Why well, am I being a good Christian? Am I, did I do everything that I could possibly do? Yes, you did. And what was the result? It didn't work. It didn't work. And guess what? And this is Rory at 64 versus Rory at 20. See, Rory at 20 said, but just hang in there. The idiot Rory at 20. Just hang in there. The 64-year-old Rory said, and it ain't gonna work. Amen? All right, you banged your head up against the wall. You know, when you bang your head up against the wall enough times, you start to think headaches are normal. Headaches are not normal. Pain is something that God gave us to warn us that it's, something's not normal. So, I want to get that across to you Christians. This is what we're learning from watching the, Paul's work with the Corinthians. Now, Paul still did the work, but they didn't get it. They didn't want to. Now, Paul mentions the sins that result from divisions and rivalries, and they all started back in the 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 1, and they persist, demonstrating that if we learn anything from history, it's that we learn nothing from history. In the passage we are about to study, we learn that there is something that gets you kicked out of a church. What is it? It's a lifestyle. Paul is talking about a consciously chosen set of practices, both immorality and its moral cousin legalism, and in my opinion, legalism is worse, patterns of thinking and repetitive conduct that are anti-God and anti-biblical. And yes, these are things that come from Christians. So let's see what Paul is taking on in the first and second uh, sections of the next passage. We'll just hear the two passages, and then today we'll study the first section of passage 4, of 1 Corinthians. All right, so here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 13. The first and second sections of passage 4 it says this. Oh, I didn't read that second verse, did I? All right, so here was the second verse. <laughs> I love when I do that. I get so excited. Here's the second verse of 2 Corinthians 12:21. I am afraid that when I Paul come again, My God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of you who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which keeps on being practiced. So that's all I did was explain to you what that verse said, which is that in the first chapter they were goofy, in the 28th chapter they were goofy. Why? Because they didn't turn away, repent, they didn't turn away from what they were doing that was stupid. All right, now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Let's hear what those, the, the passages have to say, and then let's study one of them verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. The translators of the Bible are so weak. They are so weak. They use these euphemisms. Someone has his father's wife. do what a, what a, what a, you have them in your house and you got her locked up, what, a, what does that mean exactly? Well, we'll find out what it means when we uh, study the, the verse by verse. 1 Corinthians 5, 2. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Ooh, there's something you can do to get kicked out of a congregation. 1 Corinthians 5, 3. For I, Paul, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this immorality as though I were present. Paul is the pastor of this church and as such the founder of this church and as such he has the right to handle the business of this church. And even though he wasn't there, he was handling the business. 1 Corinthians 5, 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit assembled with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is a Christian they're talking about whose flesh might be destroyed, but who cannot lose his salvation. First Corinthians 5, 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Okay, now he goes metaphorical. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of leaven, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. He's talking to the Jews, and he's talking to them about a ritual that they know a lot about, which is the Passover. We'll get into that in some depth. First Corinthians five eight therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's passage four section two, beginning at First Corinthians chapter five verse nine. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. 1 Corinthians 5.10, I did not at all mean not to associate with the immoral people of this world, unbelievers, nor with the covetous or and swindlers, nor with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. There's no way you're not going to come into contact with unbelievers, in other words. He wasn't talking about unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 5.11, but actually when I said don't associate with immoral people, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Wow! He's talking about don't hang out with believers in Christ who have lost their mind. 1 Corinthians 5.12 For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? 1 Corinthians 5.13. But those who are outside, God judges. As for you, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Wow. All right. So in that fourth passage, in the first two sections, he recommends three times that you remove a person from a congregation. Three separate verses. 1 Corinthians 5, 2, he says, you have become arrogant. He's talking to the whole congregation there. And have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this immoral deed would be removed from your midst. There's one recommendation. Remove this person from your midst. There is something you can do to get kicked out of a church. He recommends the removal of this person by using a metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, clean out the old leaven, and we'll find out what leaven is, but leaven is something that makes dough rise, and when you put a little bit of leaven in the dough, it makes all of the dough rise, and we'll see what that metaphor means. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of leaven, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. And Paul recommends removal very directly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul always see. Paul always starts indirect and then he goes to direct. Why is that? He's trying to spare feelings. I didn't get that gene. Amen. (laughs) Right, Free Willy. (laughs) Oh, stop that moaning. Stuff that you should see you guys this is the story of my life the story of my life is you guys always hear what i say because i'm up front but you never hear what june says to me she says some just despicable stuff to me that can't be repeated from the pulpit amen <laughs> did my nose grow it did not <laughs> All right, so there's something that can get you kicked out of a church. What is it? When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll find out as we study the first section of this passage, verse by verse. Oh, I didn't do the, I didn't do the, I didn't show you there, I did it again. Here's that last uh, verse, 1 Corinthians 5.13. Those who are outside God judges, but you need to remove the wicked man from among yourself. Okay. So we're going to find out why, right after this.
2: Why you ever chose me There's always been a mystery On my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right. For all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the
1: world to see Nobody but Jesus. Moses had stage fright. fright, fright. David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked twelve outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying Who do you think you are? I say I'm I'm just just a nobody.
2: Tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to
3: see
2: Nobody but Jesus
3: So let me go down, down, down
2: Not a blood or faithful member of the family
3: And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me
0: Today's Bible lesson, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? What gets people kicked out of a congregation? Well, Nike has it right about giving. Just do it. You know, Baran Ministries has a lot of closet listeners. You know, there are people who listen, but they don't ever make contributions, because that's really how we know that there are listeners out there. So all you closet listeners today, come out of the closet. Go on the website, and you can donate via PayPal, Send us a contribution just to say thank you that you're getting the Word of God so that we can take that and pass it on to other people through our services, uh, through the services of the ministry and through what we do in the Internet and with the ministries that we have. So Nike had it right. Just do it at bra Ministries. When it comes to generosity, we say just give it. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message.
4: Good evening. Good evening, my name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries and Barah Ministries is a worldwide church where real people come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the word of God <clears throat> and last week we're, we've been kind of talking about rivalries and disunity and last week we were talking about you know <clears throat> people that God has a message for those that sponsor disunity and my initial thought was one of those of oh man I know two or three people that should be listening yeah. to this one. This one would be perfect for them. Then about halfway through the lesson, I'm like, wait, this is the, a message to me. You know, we, we don't think about that a believer could be, a, you know, a huge sponsor of disunity. <clears throat> kind of give them a pass a lot of times, like we're hearing tonight. We're just going to give them, going to let them just stay in, in our congregation and sponsor disunity and cause, cause factions and separations in the background. And it's one of those things we just can't let happen. And i was thinking you know <clears throat> i've never been that person i'm too too nice for that but i thought of myself in my first my family when my mom got remarried i had stepbrothers and stepsisters <clears throat> and i was nice to them but i, I never really cared i never really gave him a chance i never was like hey we're a big family and he's my dad i was like no his name's joe that's joe and so i was just always you know never really bought on to the whole family thing and that can't help as a parent or a a mom or a dad trying to re- reunite a family and and I think you know fast forward and as a co-worker you know sometimes when we get new workers at the at the shop I you know I'll check them out and if I kinda help them and they don't really help themselves I'm like ah he's, he's gone he's gonna wash out of here and I don't really help them like I should you know and I kinda I kind of probably cause a little disunity by not supporting them like I should and just you know we're all one mind we're all one purpose as a, as a at work so we need to help each other but you know, I'll help them for a while, and then I'll just give up on them. And, you know, I think we do that in relationships. I'm sure you, everybody else does this too, but I'll tend to clam up in a relationship. You know, when something's bothering you, it's like, ah, don't worry about it, let it go. Clam up, clam up, don't say anything. But then what are you doing? You're not communicating. You're not having any unity of thought. You're not talking to these things out that you, you have a problem. You need to, like, let it, let it go. You need to tell them or tell the other person. And we end up not saying anything. And I think we can see in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 2, which is another uh, prison epistle, and I just think it's crazy that he's writing these things in prison. It's like, I guess most guys are working out, he's in there writing the Bible. (laughs) But Philippians 2, 2 says, "...make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same unconditional love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose." And I was thinking about it, you know if you see homeless per- a person out there and they 're asking for help, and if you, ha- you don 't help them, are you really, are you 're a sponsor of disunity? if you don 't help every person you see because the help the homeless person needs help, and we should help them if you have the chance when you get the opportunity and you don 't do it you 're sponsoring disunity and I think it 's interesting because I see a lot of homeless people, and I, I end up being very kind of gris- you know grizzled to them or like skeptical because. I've seen a lot of guys that they seem like maybe they're not homeless. They have a semi-okay place, but they go and beg. And But you see some people, you know they're homeless. You've seen them out out every day, and <clears throat> they look really bad and they need help, so let's help them. And I had a, a co-worker who was walking to work. He lives close to our shop, and he'll either ride his bike or walk just to save gas. And he was walking into work one morning, and a couple homeless guys were kind of off to the side of the street, and he kind of was like, oh, God, he's kind of... Got kind of him braced up for what he was going to encounter, and they were like, hey, hey, bro, you need some SpaghettiOs? <laughs> they were going to offer him food. You know, they were going to help him. They weren't trying to ask him for something. They they thought maybe he was homeless and needed help, and they had extra. So, you know, if a homeless person can offer SpaghettiOs, what can we do that have homes and that have, have lives and supporting families and a God that loves us beyond belief? Um, so I think we just need to Dig deeper, and let's go this year, and let's just do it like Pastor said. And so thank you for your consistent giving at the offering. And just remember that it's, it's, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about the Jesus Christ. So all the glory to him, and uh, thank you. <clears throat>
0: So today's Bible lesson, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? What gets people kicked out of a congregation? Great offering message, Deacon Denny. And I think uh, the thing that you were talking about is the thing that gets confusing a little bit to Christians because, you know, you're in these relationships and you go into them kind of half-heartedly. And then you realize, yeah, maybe I ought to be doing more. And that's what causes us to to question things. But even when we're half-hearted or when we're all in, what we have to do is look at the evidence that's going on in the relationship. And when we see repeatedly that the other person is not engaging with us in the relationship, that's what we're talking about here. And so we'll continue our look at this in just a bit, but let's hear some music. Psalm 124, 8 says this, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. And Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, and of course he is, first class condition if in the Greek, if and it's true, then who is to be successful against us? And the answer is no one. Well, the group for King and Country says our help comes from resting our burdens squarely on God's righteous shoulders. Let's listen to their song, Shoulders.
3: I look up to the mountains, does my strength come from the mountains? No. My strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and the mountains.
0: Today's Bible lesson, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? What gets people kicked out of a congregation? You know, D- Deacon Denny, your uh, offering message really had an effect on me. I was thinking that, you know, there are those times when I when, when I look at a person who's homeless who's asking for money, there are some times when I feel repulsed. And that's not all the time, but that's sometimes. And those are the people I usually don't give money to, even though I've made a mental commitment that if somebody asks me for money, I'm going to give it to them. So I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a dollar in 20 and you will be saved books, and I'm going to put them in my car. And I'm going to always have and you will be saved books and a dollar with me. And anytime I see a person who's homeless, I'm giving them one. So they're going to get a dollar, and they're going to get and you will be saved. Or I could just leave the and you will be saved books in my garage. Amen. You feeling me? This doesn't cost us anything to reach out to people. And if they show up here, you know, we get them a shower, and then they can come right on in. So it's no problem. Sorry I had to say that. Today's Bible lesson, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? Well, Marcus Tullius Cicero, or if you took six years of Latin, Cicero is the way we pronounced his name, was a Roman statesman, lawyer, and philosopher who's considered one of Rome's greatest orators and prose stylists. And here's what he had to say about the mistakes we make. He said, every man makes mistakes, but only a fool persists in his errors. Right. So those are the people that really get on our no- nerves. Kind It's not the people who make mistakes, but it's the people who make the repetitive mistake over and over and over, over again. And the ones that we hate the most in that regard are ourselves. Because we have a mistake that we make, and we repeat it over and over and over and over again. And when we do that, that thing becomes part of our lifestyle. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Paul is addressing in this passage. So what gets people kicked out of uh, congregations? And one of the things I want you to notice as I talk about this is the strength of the words that are used. Because I'm bringing Greek into the English, and I'm telling you, when you go into to the Greek, on this passage, the strength of the words that are, are used are just in, indicate how, how upsetting it is that these things are occurring. So what kind of people get kicked out of, the con- uh, out of congregations? Egregious persistence in the error of making the mistakes that can destroy a congregation. It is frequent, flagrant, flaunted lifestyles. That infect the church and the people in it in such a way that it systematically destroys the church people who get kicked out of congregations are like termites and i don 't know if you 've ever had termites or not, but I have had termites. I had termites infest my movie room, and I had to take all of the furniture up the floor up, and everything to drill into the concrete in the foundation underneath to get at these little buggers but People who get kicked out of congregations are like termites. You may just barely know they're there. When termites are in your house, they eat through the drywall, and you'll see this thing coming out of the drywall that looks like ash. And you go, hmm, what is that? And you rub it, and you see, you know, and you look, and there are about 100 of those bad boys in there, and they're just eating your drywall. They're just eating your house up. So you may barely know that they're there, yet they're undermining the entire structure of the church and the people in it. And everyone knows it, and no one's willing to address it. Here in Barah Ministries, they'll go to the deacons instead of me, and they'll be chirping away at the deacons and chipping away at the deacons, and then they'll go to other people in the congregation, and they'll chip away at them. And all of it is designed to turn people on the church or on the pastor, and eventually it has a, the, 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 the targeting has its effect, and people leave the congregation. And that has happened a lot of times in the course of the existence of Barah Ministries. The people who get ki- kicked out of congregations are like cancer. And once you know you have cancer, you're a fool if you do nothing about it. I had a relative who had cancer, and he decided not to treat it. Now, that's just foolish. And, you know, the medical community is really helpful in that regard now because if you, if you have cancer and you're old, they say, well, you know, you've had a good life. <laughs> they do. They don't care because Medicare pays them to tell you that. So that Medicare doesn't have to keep paying. So you just need to know that those are some of the realities that really go on. So once you identify a person in your congregation who is living a lifestyle that threatens the church and its members, you have to do something about it. And whether it's immorality, which is immoral degeneracy, or legalism, which is moral degeneracy, the cancer must be stopped in a congregation not only for the sake of the congregation, but also for the sake of the person doing the sinning. Because God wasn't only talking about teachers when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you believers in Christ are to God. You're holy. And so if God sees that you are engaged in a flagrant, repetitive, egregious attack on his church or in people in the church, he will take you out. And he is not joking. Now, God doesn't want anyone to destroy his believers in any way, but especially not an erosion of the soul and especially not from the inside. And a lot of these insidious things that happen in a church are things that destroy us from the inside. So let's study this first section of this fourth passage of 1 Corinthians verse by verse, and let's see if we can see what God is talking about here. Let's begin with the last verse of the previous passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says this to end the third passage in 1 Corinthians. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod and kick your butt? Or shall I come to you in unconditional love with a gentle spirit? So Paul reminds me of Robert De Niro in the movie Taxi Driver when De Niro imagines himself confronted by the bad guys. You talking to me? You talking to me? What, you want me to bring, you want me to bring the rod? I'll bring the rod if I have to bring the rod. I could, come, I could come really nice. I could bring the rod. You talking to me? I love that. You can see it on YouTube if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Paul threatens to spank an arrogant faction of the Corinthian congregation. Now let's get deeper into the type of problems divisions are causing. And what are those problems? Incest. Lawsuits. Prostitution. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported by Chloe's people and by others, and by the way, not in a letter, but whispering in Paul's ear that there is sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia. Does that word sound familiar in English, porneia? Porn! It's so funny about porn. In porn, there w- there are rules of decency in porn. And so it. let's say that there is, in porn, there is a... Uh, a father having sex with his daughter. It will say, father having sex with his daughter, not really his daughter. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. They have they actually have decency rules in porn, right? So this is what Paul is talking about right here. But porneia, it, this didn't just start. This has always been around, porneia. I did a lot of studying of greek mythology you got so you guys you guys are not right you're laughing at me how do you know about the porn i have to go on porn sites to study so i can protect you that's what happened amen Amen. that thank you thank you but seriously now i've studied the greek classics a lot and porn was huge in this at this time huge and And furthermore, I know you guys are chuckling because you know it. It's not that you're chuckling because you think it's me. You're chuckling because you understand what is around us, and we have to be aware of what's around us. As a parent, if you aren't looking at porn sites to see what your kids are looking at, you're delinquent as a parent as far as I'm concerned. You need to know it. And by the way, I'm I'm from the broadcast industry, and one of the things that's kind of funny is that in the broadcast industry, in the radio industry in particular, there are day parts. There's morning drive, there's midday, there's afternoon drive, there's evening. Well, in the porn industry, they treat the industry just like the radio industry treats, the in- uh, treats things. So in the morning and afternoon drive, who are they targeting? They're targeting businessmen. In the midday, who are they targeting? Housewives. If you go on a porn site in the midday, it's all lesbianism. Why? It's encouraging women to sleep with women. Now, you think that, so it got serious all of a sudden, I see. You think that the porn industry isn't smart in how they target stuff? They are. Because what are they trying to do? They're trying to destroy relationships and destroy souls, from the inside, they're trying to cause divisions in your soul from the inside. And you know what? It works. It works like a charm. And these are things that are actually happening in relationships where the relationship is sexless and the, the, the people who are in the relationship are engaging in porn instead of sexual relations with each other. These are married couples. But they're not talking about this out loud. But it's happening. And I get privy to a lot of those conversations. So this thing is really a big deal. But at least, for the most part, it's quiet. This thing we're talking about wasn't quiet. All right? So it, was, it is actually reported by Chloe's people and by others that there is sexual immorality, porneia, among you. The kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated, that is not even considered okay among the Gentiles, among pagan unbelievers, that someone is having sex with his father's wife, the man's stepmother. Okay, now, I didn't translate that in the wimpy way that the translation committees did, did I? No, because now you know what we're talking about. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, in Corinth, there were all kinds of sexual rituals tied to religion. One I remember from my college days studying the classics was the phallic cult, a group of people who worshipped the male sexual organ. And as you might imagine, orgies were a big part of the worship service. In the Christian church at Corinth, there was a man who was engaged in incest with his mother-in-law, And he was quite open about it, as if it were a badge of courage. He boasted that Christians could do the same as the phallic cultists. And the arrogant faction of the Christian church at Corinth did nothing about his conduct. And the Apostle Paul takes the entire congregation to task for their lack of action. So if you really look at these 13 verses, Paul has dealt with the person who was engaged in incest. But who he's really talking to is the congregation because they did nothing. And that's what happens right here in Barah Ministries. When we have problems with people in Barah Ministries, everybody pretends like there's not this stench in the room and who gets to deal with the stench in the room? The pastor. And who who ends up getting to be the bad guy? The pastor. Right? And that stuff, I, I have had enough of those times when I was out on that limb all by myself where I learned how to deal with it to enjoin the other members of our, uh, of our congregation and dealing with congregational issues that must be dealt with if we're going to grow because these are things that kill a congregation. Kill it. Kill it dead. So Paul is saying to his congregation at Corinth that even pagans find this kind of conduct contemptible, this incest. And he was appalled, pun intended, that they were doing nothing about the situation. Appalled. You get it? Paul? Appalled? Yeah. Okay, great. All right, first career. <laughs> Larry and Pat, I was with Larry and Pat all week. They laughed at all of my jokes. They think my jokes are really funny. Yeah. Yeah, they no. They actually have a sense of humor not like some people here in the congregation. <laughs> All right. First Corinthians chapter 5 verse 2. Now, when something like this is happening, what? How much did you pay? I didn't pay him anything for that. <laughs> now, when something like this is happening, Paul asks, "Why do you keep on being arrogant? Why are you puffed up with self-importance and happiness instead of mourning?" That is being sad or mad about the situation that there's a guy in your congregation who's bragging about his incestuous relationship so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. The one who is in in your midst who is bragging about incestuous relationships is like a termite, is like a cancer eroding the very foundation of your congregation. So Paul is more concerned with the congregation than with the saint who is sinning. And make no mistake about it, this guy who's doing this is a believer in Christ. The arrogant faction in the church is happy about this man's conduct instead of being sad as if they were mourning. Paul wants them to remove the cancer from their midst so that it does not infest the congregation in such a way that the congregation is destroyed. There are people in every congregation who through their conduct are destroying a congregation, and they must be removed by the congregation as a unit. And God the Father loves the church because it is the body of his Son, Jesus Christ, and he doesn't want anything to take it down. This man is engaged in what is considered abnormal and deviant sexual conduct. All the words used to describe this conduct in the Greek indicate shock, repulsion, indecency, sordidness, despicableness, pestilence, and disgust. The strongest words that you could possibly use to describe it. Something you could never see from the English translation. And sometimes we need to say enough is enough with the conduct of those around us. How did Paul handle this man's conduct? Paul has to take on this issue while he's absent. He's not there. So he's working from a distance with a pen. And he takes it on as soon as he hears about it. Paul's big concern is how things like this impact the gospel message. What makes Christianity unique if unbelievers see us doing things that even unbelievers wouldn't do? If a church appears to condone egregious sin... What would make unbelievers want to be Christians? See, there are a lot of people who come to a congregation and they think telling everybody about the sordid lifestyle they're running is helping everybody in the congregation. It doesn't help. See, unbelievers, you would think an unbeliever would look at a Christian who was sinning and say, wow, they're not much different than me. So maybe Christianity isn't so phony. They do exactly the opposite. They say, hey, if you're sinning just like me, then why do I have to come into your group? I'm doing fine sinning on my own over here. I don't need to join your group to, to experience the very same thing. And so when this, this conduct is flagrant, and so you notice that we're not talking about sins. We're talking about lifestyle. And we're talking about people who have a big mouth and who are chirpy about their disgusting lifestyle, that they are committed not to change and they are committed to tell everybody about so that it can ruin everybody around, that person, those people need to be dealt with. And even if the seats are empty in a congregation, they need to be dealt with. And, you know, it's funny because as a pastor, you know, you, you, I'm telling you, you know, you as a Christian shouldn't be take this lightly as a pastor. I can't take it lightly either. I'm sitting up here thinking, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's spiritual life. Yeah, I don't. But when their lack of spiritual life is hurting the people around me, when it's hurting my sheep, when they're infested with something and they're infecting my sheep, i got a big problem with that. And I will deal with that swiftly and alone if necessary. Amen? You can't play with this. You can't play with this. So why didn't the church act? Well, maybe this man is the church's biggest donor. Maybe they just didn't want to make the donor mad. In rabbinical tradition, this man would have been stoned to death. You should see the 36 things that in rabbinical tradition will get you kicked out of a congregation. A lot of them will get you dead. And this was one of them. And maybe next week I'll pull, pull the passage and just read to you <laughs> what they say. It is strong. They are not messing around. So this con- kind of conduct was considered pollutant to a congregation. A lack of action on this matter indicts the whole congregation and especially the pastor. And when the congregation doesn't act, quite often God's, God does. And this is a congregation that uses freedom as a license to sin. But Paul proclaims how he has handled the situation as their founder and Father, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, he says, For my part, although I'm absent in body, I am present in spirit, and I have already pronounced judgment. I've already made a decision in the name of our Lord Jesus as though I were present concerning him who has committed this act, the act of having sex with his stepmother. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, When you as a church are assembled, just as I am assembled with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ as our guide, I have decided to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's how we know that he's a saint. Paul is saying, this is the flesh acting in this man, and so I'm going to turn him over to Satan and the world system, and they will destroy him. But he'll be saved because he's a believer in Christ. Paul kicked the man out of the congregation and has thrown him back into the world where Satan can handle him. Well, we know how Satan works. Satan will take you, fool you, use you, leave you laying in the gutter and will throw the invoice right on the top of you. He'll make you pay for everything that he used you with. Paul expects his congregation at Corinth to affirm his decision. Next, Paul addresses his target, the congregation, and their arrogance. 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, he says, I have decided to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians 5.6, Your boasting about yourselves is not good. Your holding yourselves up as paragons of virtue is not good. Do you not know? Remember, any time Paul says that, he's asking, Are you ignorant? Do you not know that a little leaven, a small sin, ruins an entire congregation? A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Well, what does Paul mean by that? We're going to see 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of leaven. We are, as believers in Christ, when anyone is in union with Christ, there is a new creation. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of leaven, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, also has been sacrificed. 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, the, the items of the world, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is making it clear to the arrogant ones that they are not all that, meaning that those who tolerate reprehensible conduct are reprehensible. By using the leaven analogy, Paul is saying that there are things that corrupt a congregation. And just, just as a little leaven can make a large amount of dough rise, a small sin of lifestyle can make a whole congregation rise just before it falls. And Paul suggests starting as unleavened bread. He wants them to live like real Christians and not like counterfeit Christians who seek to imitate the world. And as Christians, we have died and we have risen with Christ. Christ is our leaven and we need to act like it. Amen? So, what gets people kicked out of a congregation? anything that can corrupt the entire organization and those in it. And sometimes you have to say enough is enough in relationship. And my question for you is, do you have the courage to do it? See, the people who have a stinking relationship and who keep going back to it like a dog returning to its vomit have got to look at what that does to them. What does it do to you? I'll tell you exactly what it does to you because I've had it done to me and I see it done to countless people. It sours you. It makes you bitter. It makes you doubt the good relationships that come into your life. That's what happens. You are convinced when you deal with people who are screwing you over repeatedly, you're convinced that every relationship is like that and you take it on as an identity. That's what happens. And then you get that sad sack sound in your voice and that sad sack look on your face like, oh, well, that's how it. it's going to be in every relationship. I had that. You know, Monica, Monica Miller came up to me one time because I was, you know, there was a time when I was grousing about marriage a lot. And she came up to me and she said, you know what, Rory? All marriages don't suck. What? What do you mean? Huh? And I just kept thinking about that. Now, I was married like a year after that. I still hate Monica for that. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Blame her for that. Amen? (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, you know, I mean, it it helped me get back in the game. It did. Because I was out of the game. I didn't want anything to do with relationships. That's what happens when you deal with these situations. Do you think, honestly, do you think that's what God wants for you? It is not what God wants for you. And every, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, my foibles and the mistakes I've made, but you've all made them. I know, I know all of you well enough to know you've made all these mistakes. You know what I'm talking about. So you get, you get all happy because I'm talking about me, but you know I'm talking about you. I'm just being too subtle and not mentioning names and stuff. But we've all had this happen. If you don't get away from the cancers, if you don't get away from the termites in your life, after you have made an assessment that every single time, because this is the beautiful thing about cancer, it never deviates. Once you get cancer, you know exactly what cancer is trying to do. What is it trying to do? Kill you. It is not doing anything good for you. Cancer doesn't come in, start killing off cells and say, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm just going to rope a dope for a couple seconds to make them think that I can do other things, like be nice. (laughs) Cancer never does that. It just takes out everything in its path. And those are the relationships we're talking about, where you got people in the congregation who just every interaction that they have is taking out everyone in their path, just devastating the congregation, and then we sit here and let it happen. You know it's happening. Your instincts are telling you it's happening, and then we sit here and let it happen. No more. No. Nope. Swift. That's how that's going to be handled. Swiftly. Amen? And so when you go away this week and you start looking at your own life, you better take a look at where you need to clean some leaven out of your cupboards. Because you got a lot of leaven in your cupboards. These people who are consistently the same as it relates to destroying your whole morale and your whole thought process from the inside, and you keep sitting there going, well, I'm a Christian, should I... I know I should be a better Christian. (laughs) No, it's not like that. Once you figure out that somebody's not on your side and you see repeated, repeated, repeated usurpations, you got to get them out of your life and go nowhere near them ever again. Amen? All right, so do a little soul searching this week, people, because all of us have that going on. And I'll tell you what, when I decided no more drama in my life, my life got really good. I am exceedingly happy in my life. And it's because the drama people have been dispatched. Don't need it. Don't want it. Can't handle it. Ain't going to happen. There you go. All right, well, the closing moments of our lesson are a reminder that God wants you, and what he wants from you is to make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of our study are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. Now, when a person evangelizes to you, they are presenting a gospel message for your consideration. They know they can't convert you, Although the pressure you experience from some of them I feel like that's what they want to do. Most are simply simply giving you facts to consider, facts that you may or may not know. For example, if you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they are evangelizing to you. If you've ever had members of the Church of Jesus, Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to your door, they are evangelizing to you. And unfortunately, both of these groups are inviting you to share eternity with them in the lake of fire because neither of these groups believes that Jesus Christ is God. I have family members who are part of one of these religions, and despite my best evangelism efforts, my family members don't want to hear anything that God has to say to them through me. Many parents are leading their children to a destiny in the lake of fire. If you want to assess whether or not you're a good parent, just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, because he is the only way to heaven, according to John fourteen six, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message, the word of God, and I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it's a false gospel message. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 warns, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who brought them to earth, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says, We don't have to work to be saved. If salvation is by grace, that is a free gift from God. And of course it is. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace as a free gift is no longer grace. It is not free. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says you can't work for salvation. Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Now to the one who works for salvation, his wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. Unfortunately, your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. Do you want to get to heaven free of charge? Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36 warns this way, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John chapter 3, verse 17 highlights Jesus' mission. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses three and four. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received: the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So take the gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste because God wants you. If you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, let's close with a song. Maybe sometimes you don't feel worthy of all the blessings that God has in store for you. Blessings of both adversity and prosperity. So you probably feel unworthy because you think your worth is predicated on human performance. And actually, your worth is based on what the Lord has done for you and what the Lord thinks of you. Well, here's June Murphy to sing about your value in her song, Worthy.
5: my identity with the Lord Jesus Christ for he alone is worthy in Christ I'm worthy in Christ alone is where my worth is you see he's part of the trinity that's indwelling in me Jesus Christ is worthy. the Lord Jesus Christ, for he alone is worthy. In Christ I'm worthy.
0: June, I haven't heard that song in a long time. That's from your second CD. So that's a long time ago, but it's still a phenomenal song. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for helping us get clear that there are some relationships in our lives that must end because they are not good for us. And that thanks for letting us know that you don't expect us to be doormats. And thanks for giving us the spiritual eyes to see the repeated patterns of abuse and hurt that exist in some relationships and help us to stop calling them relationships and call them what they are, which is predatorships, where people are trying to take advantage of us. And we're happy that we know that you let no weapon formed against us prosper. We're happy to to know that you protect us, but it's important for us to know how to protect ourselves as well. And so we thank you for giving us a lesson that makes it clear that we have a responsibility in that realm. As we go forward in the week, let us flourish in relationships. Let us feed those relationships that feed us and starve the ones that don't. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.